Rebecca Reynolds writes this in her 2018 book, Courage, Dear Hearts. In certain overseas orphanages, caregivers aren't allowed to snuggle with infants. The no-contact rule is enforced because held babies cry to be held more, and crying babies make more work for facility workers. The world's worst orphanages have rooms with beds full of silent infants because those children have learned that no comfort will come to them when they wail. Rebecca Reynolds knows this sad truth because after adopting her three-year-old son, mom and dad noticed that their son would rarely cry when he was hurt. He would hide, then he would collect himself, and then he'd put on some sort of goofy performance so that everyone watching would laugh with him rather than feel a need to comfort him. I wonder, do you cry? Do you let God see your tears? Do you let others see your brokenness? It's safe to say whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not, this year's Easter Sunday doesn't have the happy factor in it. Many of us feel more grief than gladness. Culturally, Easter is about candy, family, and fun. But for Christians, this is the most central holiday of our faith. This is to this is the Independence Day for Americans. This is the St. Patrick's Day for the Irish. The term Easter goes back many centuries, originally connected to a goddess, a pagan goddess of the dawn, pronounced Ostara or Iostre. So later, when Christians converted out of their pagan Roman past, and they converted into followers of Jesus Christ, they began to realize that the dawn of their faith was actually the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they called the day to celebrate Jesus' Jesus's resurrection, Easter Sunday, the dawn of new life, the dawn of hope. Most Easter Sundays, Christians will focus on the historical record of Jesus' resurrection. We'll remember the first witnesses who would later die for their loyalty to Jesus. We recall vivid details preserved by those who had their first encounters with the resurrected Christ. We celebrate the Christ's death in history. Uh, we celebrate his historical death on Good Friday and his historical uh, resurrection that validated the death and the atonement that Jesus paid on the cross. But today, rather than focus on the historical details or the historical nature of the resurrection, I'd like to zoom in on the personal nature of Jesus' resurrection Certainly, the resurrection of Jesus has universal implications for every person, for every century. But what personal implications are there for, for me, for you? And even more specifically, does Jesus' resurrection have implication for those who cry, who grieve? The record of one woman's personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus, Jesus will teach us a principle we can hold on to this Resurrection Sunday and moving forward. And it comes from John chapter 20, verse 11. John 20, verse 11 and following. But here's the principle. With our tears still falling, Jesus speaks and Jesus sends. Jesus speaks, Jesus sends. We'll break this 
text up into the three parts. And our tears, Jesus speaks, Jesus sends. I want to pick up the story in verse 11. I'll read verses 11 through 15 out of John 20 to begin. This is God's word. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will, I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had told them what he that he had said these things to her. That's God's word. Now, one writer summarized this scene with these words: She thinks she is alone, though, like other sorrowful disciples since, she actually has angels in front of her and the Lord behind her. Here's the context: On Friday. Roman and Jewish powers condemned Jesus of Nazareth to crucifixion and death. This Mary, Mary Magdalene, and uh, the 12 other disciples and many others, they had put their hope that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would free the people of Israel out of oppression and bondage. But now, they're alone. And... They fear that those same authorities are going to come after them. They're, they're in hiding. They're in an upper room. Fear and despair prevail. But early on a Sunday morning, a few brave women, they head out to the burial site. Maybe it's for one last goodbye. Some plan to anoint his corpse with spices and perfumes. And upon arriving at Jesus' burial tomb, they find the entry stone has been rolled away. The armed guard has vacated. Most significant of all, Jesus' body is missing. The women head back. They tell the other disciples. Then Simon Peter, one of the other disciples, they show up. They see and Then they head back into town. But in verse 11, we read that Mary Magdalene has hung back. She's, she's lingering at the tomb with tears falling down her cheeks. That term that's repeated several times, crying, it can sometimes be wailing. Now, we don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene. Prior to following Jesus, we know that demons terrorized her. Her life was a total wreck before Jesus had touched her and set her free. And in response, Mary Magdalene followed Jesus as close, if not closer, than any other disciple. And this is why verse 11 makes so much sense. Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. 
She can't see her healer, her rabbi, her hope. Now, some of you have had a Mary Magdalene kind of experience in your past. There there was a time in the past where, where Jesus rushed in and touched you, saved you, totally transformed your life. Maybe you were formerly addicted to some substance. Maybe Jesus showed up in the middle of a, of a, a friendship crisis or a time when you almost were considered taking your life. Maybe God showed up when your marriage was a mess and he, he restored you. Or a time in illness when you feared. You cried out to God and, and he spoke to you and he ministered to you and Jesus touched you. You had seen his power. But like Mary, you now feel alone. You can't see your healer. You can't see your hope. Now, others listening today have not had this kind of experience at all. You, you don't, maybe even some of the things that Christians celebrate on Easter just seem uh, bewilderingly crazy to you. Um, you know nothing of Jesus' hope or his healing. He's always been absent. And honestly, right now, you believe that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and he is still dead today. But without hope in this world, we cry. Tears fall, despair rages. And even those who have been closest to the Lord have moments when the tears come. I want you to notice that in the midst of Mary's wailing and her tears, her loyalty and love for Jesus has not waned. Verse 13, angels say, why are you crying? And she cries out, they have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. The angels ask, why the tears? And Mary says, they've taken my Lord away. Jesus is not some sort of past tense Lord for Mary. Mary Jesus, is, Jesus is still her master. He's still king. She wants to be near him. Even if he's dead, she'd rather clutch his corpse than keep hiding in the upper room. Now, admittedly, I don't know why the angels are asking her, why are you crying? Now, maybe in their angelic condition, uh, they can't fathom that goes on when a human person cries. Maybe they say it because they know that Jesus has resurrected and they can't conceive of anybody crying at that moment. Regardless, I don't think her tears are condemned. Her tears and your tears have a dignity. They actually have a place in this fallen world. She's approached with a question, not a harsh rebuke. But then it says another visitor shows up. Verse 14. Verse 14. It says, now at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus stay there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Now, scholars are all over the map on why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. Let me offer a few things to consider. First, if you were making up a story after the fact to convince people that Jesus had risen from the dead, you wouldn't add a detail like that. A made-up tale would have Jesus appearing and Mary recognizing him instantly. But the Bible is true and accurate. So most likely, 
Mary didn't recognize Jesus for these sorts of reasons. The resurrected body of Jesus probably didn't look identical to the pre-resurrected body of Jesus. Most likely, Mary expected to find a corpse with, with gashes on the back and holes in hands and covered in blood and a body mangled. Probably Jesus' clothing is different. Certainly, Mary's grief is impacting all of her senses. She misses Jesus, doesn't recognize Jesus, but he is there. And he asks, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? I love these two questions, and not just for Mary, but for us. Why are you crying? For what reasons do you shed tears? What causes you despair? Man, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? Child, teenager, young adult, why are you crying? We cry because things we love have been taken from us. We, we cry because things that make us feel safe are no longer present. We cry because dear persons are no longer with us. Why are you crying? That's an important question. But the second one is just as significant. Who is it that you are looking for? In our tears, for what or for whom are you searching? When crisis hits, who has the answers? Who brings healing? Who brings hope? Who, who, who do you trust to hold you? Who is it that you are looking for? Now, later in Rebecca Reynolds' book, she describes a scene a few months after their adopted son had been in their home. He'd fallen off the mattress Onto the floor, a very common experience for a three-year-old. But what came out of her son was far from noble. And she writes this. He let out the halted wail of a newborn. And I ran to him. And he, he looked at me as if he wasn't sure what was happening. And says, when I scooped him up and held him in my arms, he buried his face into my shoulder and he wept. Now almost immediately I felt my son's shame rise. And he began to fight his tears. His whole body started to stiffen, so I held him closer. And I told him, I love you. You are such a good boy. This is a good cry. You are doing a good job crying. Cry more. Rebecca continues, One of the best compliments of my life was his decision to take me up on that offer. He relaxed and wept what felt like three years worth of tears. I am so proud of you, I said, rocking him and whispering praise and love over him until he was finished. I want you to look at Mary's heart. Where did she want to take her tears? Jesus. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Some of us need to know that God loves us with a deep love, and he doesn't want us to stay away. We can't make it on our own, and God wants us to come to him with our tears. He wants us to cry into his strong shoulders until we have no more tears left. Like a, like a child learning to bond and trust his mom for the first time, we must learn to bond with our Lord and bring our tears to him. God accepts our tears. 
This is a good cry. He holds us. And he speaks to us. Look at the text. While Mary's tears fell, Jesus speaks. And he says he calls her by name. Friends, if you seek Jesus like Mary sought for Jesus, he will be found. Everyone who seeks, find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. With our tears still falling, the resurrected Jesus speaks. Our tears, Jesus speaks. Let's zoom in on the speaking Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary's world changed at a single word. Her name spoken by Jesus. Tears streamed down her face, sobs erupted, shoulders sagged, her head was drooped, but at her name she knew, she knew her Messiah lived, resurrected, alive, victorious. And she cries out this Rabboni, which means something like, my teacher, my precious rabbi, my dear leader, I see you now. You were there all along. I couldn't see you. I couldn't see what was happening. Now, at the end of the third book of The Lord of the Rings, uh, one of my treasured favorites, uh, there is a, a character, his name's Samwise Gamgee, and, and he's, getting, he's awaking from a coma. <laughs> now, before Sam had gone into the coma, he had presumed that he was actually closing his eyes to die. He thought everything was over. Uh, but when he wakes up, he looks up and he sees Gandalf, the wizard, And this was the very wizard that a few weeks ago, Sam had seen die. And so Sam bursts out. This is what he says. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? That's what's going on for Mary. She thought her life was over. She thought Jesus was gone and dead. And now the world has turned right side up again. And she thinks everything sad is going to come untrue. Now what's just happened to Mary? I think Jesus actually described it earlier in the Gospel of John. This is what's recorded in John 10, verses 27 through 28. Jesus is describing what happens when someone hears their name called, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. Mary hears the shepherd's voice. It was personal, intimate, real. And what she's doing, she's tasting eternal life, freedom, hope beyond death. Is everything sad coming untrue? Now, Mary is one in a long line of millions of people who have had that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. 
the historical fact or the historical reality that Jesus rose from the dead in and of itself doesn't save anyone. Jesus' death for sinners is grounded in history, but it is applied one person at a time. It's, it's when a person recognizes this truth and hears Jesus calling that they say, my Lord, my Savior, my teacher, my Jesus. The sheep hear Jesus' voice and they follow him. They know him and it says he gives them eternal life. Mary is tasting eternal life and she is undone. She knows she will never perish. Jesus has conquered sin, death, hell, and those who trust in him will share in the victory. You know, if you've been a follower of Jesus, whether it's for a few weeks or years or decades, could you take maybe Easter lunchtime or later Easter supper, could you tell them how Jesus called you? What was the situation in your life? Did he speak your name? Did he speak light when there was darkness, speak hope when there was despair? Can you retell that story of your personal encounter? And if you haven't had it, maybe it's now. Maybe even now you'll hear Jesus calling your name, John, Sarah, Christine, Tom. That you'll hear that Jesus is alive and he's saying, come follow me, repent of your sins. Believe that I died for you, that my victory over sin, death, and hell was demonstrated on Easter Sunday. Trust me. Follow me. One day, everything sad will be made untrue. But what I want you to see in here, Jesus is telling Mary, not yet. There's still work to be done here. There's still a mission. And Mary is the first in a long line. Mary is sent on a mission to tell others the good news. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to her, "Don't, don't hold on to me. I'm not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And it says, Mary goes with the news to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. Now, did you know that the testimony of a first century woman was not admissible in court? Again, if you're making up a story, you don't have a woman be the first witness. You don't have them make the first, give the first testimony. It's inadmissible. It's, it's useless. But this is the Bible, and Jesus says, I'm giving dignity. The apostle to the apostles is Mary Magdalene. Mary, who had been demonized, possessed by demons, ostracized, an outsider. She sees the resurrected Jesus, and she's set on a mission. Go tell. Go tell. Go tell everyone that I'm alive. People need to know. Everyone needs to know. You know, it's, it's, it's important. It, it's kind of unique to be sent on a mission. Um, maybe, maybe you remember some of the missions that you were sent on for your parents as a little kid. Uh, I was reflecting this morning that one of my common missions was my father saying, hey, Dad, or hey, Matt, would you go get another pack of cigarettes for me out of the car? Pretty noble task, huh? But I had a friend, and her name was Julie, Julie Duncan. And Julie, she actually had a pretty significant job. So Julie Duncan was an organ transplant uh, transporter. 
So when there was a, a random organ that needed to go to another hospital, she would go and pick up the organ in a cooler with dry ice, and it was super cold, and it was, had to be preserved at a certain temperature, it had to get to a certain destination in a certain amount of time, and she would save, literally be saving people's lives by transporting organs all around Iowa. Now, I'm guessing she got vetted for that, you know? Probably has to have a decent driving record, uh, not prone to, oh, what was I supposed to be doing? Maybe I'll stop and get a sandwich. What I want you to think about this, though, is Mary. She is a surprising candidate to carry the most significant news of all time. And this is just like Jesus. I mean, Jesus had this surprising way of saving people. The Messiah came in a surprising package. It was unlikely that rather than come in glory, he came common, vulnerable, weakened. Jesus saves us from our sin by dying. And then those that he speaks to and, and saves are a bunch of ragtag, bunch of nobodies like Mary Magdalene that get to carry the most precious news, the precious cargo in the universe, and we get to tell people, he's alive. He is not dead. He has risen just as he said. Now, verse 17 has troubled people throughout history. Why would Jesus say, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father? Oh, I want you to know that, to start, like, Jesus isn't being rude. <laughs> Most likely, right, Jesus, Mary sees Jesus, and she is literally, like, she is grabbing him with everything she's got. She doesn't want to let him go. She doesn't want to let him out of her sight. And Jesus simply says, Mary, Mary, calm down. I'm not flying off to heaven anytime soon. Right? I haven't ascended to the Father yet. In fact, that doesn't happen for about 40 more days. Mary, you're going to see me again. Mary needs to know that even though Jesus is resurrected, but there is still work to be done. Many Jews thought that the resurrection of Jesus, or the resurrected excuse me, the resurrection of their Messiah would be combined with the resurrection of all the righteous. They thought it was going to happen at the same time. Those who had followed the Messiah, those that were righteous, they would rise with him. It would be the end of the world. The righteous would win and the wicked would be held to account. They thought total and complete victory would be immediate. But this was not God's plan. Instead, the Messiah would come and defeat the devil and death through his own death. And then for hundreds and thousands of years, God would give sinful people an opportunity to hear the good news, that whoever believes in the Son can have eternal life. Now, if, if Jesus would have finished everything right there and then, all sinners would have been immediately punished and ushered into hell. There would have been no opportunity to repent. But for 2,000 years, Christians have been sent by Jesus to proclaim the good news that all who repent of their sins and follow the crucified and risen Messiah can be assured of eternal life and share in the future victory of Messiah Jesus. Many of you are familiar with what John 3.16 says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. But it goes on to describe what happens if we don't respond to this news. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe 
stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus is the greatest gift of all time, but to spurn that gift brings about our sure condemnation, our, our death. So much so that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, Paul warns, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. So there's hope for those who repent and trust in Jesus, but a curse and a condemnation remains on those who will not see the gift and not bow the knee. Some days Jesus seems far off, but he's actually near. He's still speaking. He's still saving individuals. He's working personally one life at a time. And then he sends them out into the world to share the good news. So go home and tell your family and friends all that God has done for you. Tell them how the resurrected Jesus has spoken to you personally through the Bible, a pastor or a friend. Talk about the moment you were in despair, but in the next, Jesus touched you and gave you eternal life. Here we are 2,000 years later. Tears still fall, but the resurrected Jesus still speaks and he still sends. When Rebecca Reynolds closes her chapter on the story about her adopted son learning to cry, she writes this. In that moment, I could feel the love of his God coursing through me toward him. A father who wants every orphan soul to collapse in hope on his shoulder. This is the God who loves you. This is the God who chases you. And when you are ready to trust him, he will hold you close and whisper that you are home at last. Yes, the tears still fall. Our hearts will ache. Seasons like the one we're in will persist. But one day, everything sad will be made untrue. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I come to you with my tears and discouragement this morning, and I pray for others who have their tears and despairs and discouragement, that we would know that you are the person that we can bring these to. You are the one that we can trust. You are the one with the, uh, a chest that we can beat on in our confusion and shoulders to hold us while we cry. Jesus, it says you know how to sympathize with us. You you know what it is to be suffered and to, tempt, to be tempted and to die. And so we come, Lord, would you sympathize with us? Would you hold us? Would you speak the truth again? That though we may die, you are the resurrection and the life. And that those who trust in you will one day live. This is great news. We pray that we would steward it well, that the nations might know that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Christ's name, amen.